Hello, I'm pleased to be joined on the podcast today by UK fund manager Louise Kernahan. Louise runs the BNY Mellon UK Equity and Sustainable UK Opportunities Funds at Newton, which she joined a bit under three years ago, having carved out a strong reputation at Aberdeen. Louise, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us today. Um, You're a UK equity fund manager. So why don't we start with um, some concerns about the UK stock market? It's been a kind of long running issue, but one seeing a flurry of interest again. Uh, There have been some high profile companies talking about switching their listings. Um, Undervalued companies also continue to be taken out by uh, essentially opportunistic private equity firms. As a UK equity manager, I mean, how concerned are you about these issues and what's going on? Yeah, we're not concerned. It's clearly not ideal when our Mm -hmm. companies decide to list in another country, but uh, it's not been a a tidal wave of them. There's been a few high profile ones. And I think what's interesting about the ones that have relisted in the US, it's not like they magically re-rate to a fantastically different rating. Mm. So I I think um, it supports the view that the UK market is actually a great place to be listed. We still have lots of lots of companies listed here, lots of great ones. Uh, so as a UK fund manager uh, running portfolios, one of the portfolios has 30 to 50 holdings, 150 to 70. We have plenty of choices of brilliant investment opportunities still to invest in in the UK. Uh, yes, companies are being taken over. They always have been and always will be. There's always private equity circling around when there's opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and I think it just actually goes to show how much opportunity there is for investment uh, in the UK market at the moment. Okay. That said, you weren't happy with what you saw as a pretty lowly bid for one of your holdings, uh, Decra, recently. In fact, it went for even less than initially hoped uh, at the end. Are you still a bit annoyed about that one? So we were not happy with Mm. the price the company was bid for, uh, as we communicated um, publicly. Yeah. So yeah, we had done our valuation work on the company uh, and we came up with the number which was higher than the number um, which was uh, w- which is what the company is being uh, bid for at. These things happen. We're mm. not against companies being taken over if it's at what we think is a fair value. Um, this is a situation where we believed it and we believe it isn't. So, um, you know, all we can do is communicate our view uh, with the hope that it doesn't happen again yeah uh, but um yeah uh it's it's the situation that it is okay um i mean i suppose you're kind of playing down the concern about the the kind of london listed market a bit i mean there have been some high profile fund managers saying things like you know we need to change the rules so pension funds can invest more in uk equities again um i was going to ask you know what do you do to what do you propose to improve the situation but it sounds like you you don't think it's as bad as being made out yeah, I think there's always an element of mm. the press in any country that <laughs> <laughs> uh, plays up the, the issues in a country. Yes. I suspect if you were to go to yeah, any country in Europe, then their press would say how terrible things are in that particular country when mm. um, you know the reality is not always that bad. Mm. So uh, in terms of uh, UK um, and you know it's true that there has been outflows from UK equities for a number of years and I think there's actually quite a lot of reasons behind that it's a bit yeah. more complex um, than something that can be fixed by just one uh, sort of you know market tool in terms of you know making UK pension funds invest more in UK equities or some sort of intervention like that yeah um, I think what um, will be helpful is the fact that we've had quite a lot of negative news flow from a macro perspective mm. in the sense that 
uh, there was you know, 2016, there was a Brexit vote that rumbled on for a while. Uh, we were coming out of that, then COVID hit and UK was perceived to have been hit particularly badly through that. Uh, then last year we had Liz Truss and everything that happened with the mini budget. It's been one thing after the other, really. Uh, and I think, um, you know, none of us can foresee what's going to happen in the future. But I think there's a lot of negative headlines that hopefully you know, <laughs> won't repeat. Yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, the perception of the UK can improve. Mm. And it, for, for me as a UK investment manager, it always comes down to the companies. And actually, I know, yeah, there's so much negative press about the UK but if you look at the companies we've got listed we really punch above our weight I think mm. in terms of what we've got um so what, what do you mean by that so okay so let's look at the um the top of the the FTSE so we've got companies like Relix which is global leading AstraZeneca which is one of the best pharmaceutical companies in the world mm. um London Stock Exchange Group uh, mm -hmm. is now you know um, being, you know, got an investment from London Stock Exchange and uh, sorry, Microsoft and is partnered with them. So, uh, and you know, I could, I could, <laughs> I could go on for the rest of the podcast talking about it, and I probably won't we go will to speak yeah. Yeah, more about the individual companies. But yeah, there's just there's. I think we've just got really great companies and they're really global companies as well. Mm. So it's not like when you're investing in the UK market, you're investing in, uh, you know, what's happening in the macro environment necessarily. These, these companies have drivers which are just completely independent on that of that you know we're talking about uh, really big trends that are happening in the world like um uh, like with relics uh companies are needing their analytics uh, more and more uh, particularly uh, i think as ai is becoming um uh, something which is going to be a bigger part of our lives i think mm -hmm. all of us don't know exactly how in the future but relics i think is really well positioned with all the data that they have and the really long-standing uh, repeating uh, relationships they've got with their customers to be able to monetize that and um yeah i just think yeah if you look at it through the lens of the companies that we've got and the opportunities that they are and actually with the uk being a rather unloved mm. we can often get our companies at attractive valuations. so it might be the case that the u.s peer is a really great company as well but it's trading on multiple that you don't want to pay well the uk company is often the one which is a more uh, attractive valuation with more potential upside if they can deliver yeah okay well perhaps a bit too much hand-wringing then um i mean you know we did see uh, we soda which was uh, you know a company which pulled its ipo the other day i think largely because it just couldn't generate enough demand, which might be a bit of a macro thing as well. Um, you know, in terms of that kind of issue and the outflows from UK equities, I mean, are there specific areas you think that's depressed or is it reflected in just kind of low valuations across the UK market? I think there is an element of the makeup of the UK market in the sense that we uh, do have some large companies which are you know, for example, the oil industry, tobacco industries yeah. that are sort of seen as sort of legacy type of industries. And they do drag down uh, the valuation multiples of the market as okay. a whole. Um, it is true that we don't have tech giants. Uh, and, um, you know, that's just the case. And I mean, I think there's probably some reasons behind that um, in terms of, you know, corporate governance has kind of meant that our companies, our, our technologies companies that we do have have tended to maybe be taken over a bit right. sooner than they would have been if they'd been in the, the US and been allowed to be sort of, you know, founder led for longer. But you don't um, think that's an issue per se, something where the rules need to be changed? Well, I think it's, um, I, I mean, I think there is actually scope for the rules to be, um, you know, I think we do have to consider that actually. Mm. But I think it's a really fine line because the UK has always been an attractive market in the sense of having really strong uh, shareholder protection and corporate governance and I think we have to be careful to not undermine that but I think there is an element of being pragmatic and um, 
you know, I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I think, uh, you know, yeah, reconsidering the rules and whether they're doing what they're meant to be doing or whether they're just actually stopping some of our companies from flourishing, um, you know, I think that's a discussion that could be had. Okay, sure. Um, maybe we can step step back a bit. Um, you know, what, so tell us, why did you decide to do, decide to join Newton in 2020? And then, you know, how did you manage to lure your, your former colleague uh, and now uh, co-manager, uh, Georgina yeah. Cooper, as well, who'd also been at Aberdeen? Hopefully there wasn't too much luring. <laughs> um, so in terms of uh, why I decided to join Newton, so the opportunity mm. came up. So I was actually happy at Aberdeen at mm-hmm. the time. So uh, when Aberdeen and Aberdeen Asset Management and Standard Life merged in yeah. 2017, uh, that was the point where I changed from being a pan-European uh, investor to being on the UK equities team and focusing more on UK equities specifically. Yeah. So uh, in 2020, which was the year that I left Aberdeen to move to Newton, I uh, pretty much had a three-year track record and it was it was good. Uh, and, you know, I've loved the team and it, it was all going well. But the opportunity came up um, because it was during COVID and I was sitting at home it was there was no reason not to to speak to to Newton you know I can't couldn't say oh I'm too busy <laughs> <laughs> sitting at home they're asking can't for a video office, call. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I spoke to them and uh, it kind of quickly occurred to me that this job was pretty much tailor-made in the mm. sense that if I could design a job that would get me away from Aberdeen this was it so the funds um, are uh, you know, very similar to the funds that I was managing at Aberdeen uh, and the investment philosophy and process are very similar. So I was allowed... You were given you, relatively free reign to shape the exa- process. Exactly. Um, and I really liked all the people that I met during the interview process at, at Newton as well. Um, the elements that I liked at Aberdeen was, you know, really enjoying the people that I worked with, really mm. sort of collaborative collegiate environment. And Newton has that as well. Uh, so that was another element I liked. And then I suppose things which really sort of made me make the decision to actually move. So in terms of the types of investments that I look for, mm. um, I you know I, I invest in quality companies and an element of quality is being able to grow over and above the market um, with a long-term time horizon. And Newton has its thematic framework, which they've um, we've had for for you know decades since since the start. It's really ingrained in the DNA of the company. It's not something that's just been fabricated since now that everybody's talking about AI, you know, themes are something which have kind of underpinned Newton's investment philosophy for years. So I really liked that element. Um, and I also really liked the structure in terms of having um, uh, the global analyst team at Newton. So we've got uh, it's roughly 25 research analysts who are dedicated um, and uh, and they're global. So you've got that global perspective. So uh, previously we were a big UK team and we were you know yeah. excellent at UK market, uh, but our companies, as I mentioned before, they're very global companies. So mm. they're often you know competing. You know, AstraZeneca, you don't want to just compare it to GlaxoSmithKline. You want to compare it to Eli Lilly and you know right. all the global companies. It does not so, in a vacuum. So ha- exactly. So having the people. Um, uh, the experts within within the company to be able to help with that was another um, yeah. another element. And then finally, I know I'm talking quite a lot here. The final mm-hmm. element: I've been at Aberdeen for 16 years. If I didn't change for this job, I was never going to change. If and not I think, now, when? Yeah. yeah, and I think change is invigorating. Mm. Um, uh, so I decided ultimately to to go for it. I thought if I don't change, I might look back and regret it. Yeah, and how, so how, and how did Georgina end up joining? Yeah, so after I'd been at Newton for I'd say most of a year, maybe a little bit less than that the opportunity came up to hire a co-manager and Georgina and I had worked very closely together at Aberdeen and 
the co-manager relationship well firstly I wanted a co-manager mm. um, and the co-manager relationship is a really important one it's yeah. a really why did you want a co-manager if you don't mind asking is that just so that you know you can actually relax on holiday or, or is it something more than that yeah well I think generally speaking teams are stronger than individuals mm -hmm. uh, and I think when you've got two of you you can help cover each other's blind spots mm. uh, you can debate things it's a bit more productive than having a debate with myself if I'm honest and um yeah, I think it's, it just makes the outcome stronger. And I think uh, one of the reasons why Georgina and I work really well together is that we've both been brought up in the same investment philosophy. So we're both, you know, pointing in the same direction in terms of the type of investments that we look for, but we're both very different characters. So mm. I uh, am a bit more, I suppose, um, a bit more careful, risk averse, if you like. I've been doing it a bit longer, so I've been stung a bit more times. Georgina's just full of energy, got loads of great ideas and... Uh, yeah, I think the two of us, we often, you know, we just sort of meet at the right place yeah. uh, when we make decisions together. Uh, and I think, yeah, that relationship is quite difficult to find. So when you find it, you want to stick with it. Um, so, yeah, when the opportunity came up, um, I was obviously delighted that Georgina wanted to, to work with me. I didn't lure her. She, um, yeah, she she was attracted to Newton <laughs> for, 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 broadly speaking, I think, similar reasons yeah. to me. Cool. And just kind of, you know, the funds that you manage in a nutshell, I mean, BNY Mellon UK equity, about 591 million. I think it probably does what it says on the tin. And then, you know, the, the Sustainable UK Opportunities Fund, around 195 million of assets. Um, so both of these are basically, you know, it's a quality focus and then the sustainable one has a sustainable lens. Is, is that right? That's right. Okay, cool. And um, well, just on that kind of point, sustainable UK equities, we mentioned before, you know, the UK is sometimes perceived as a bit of a kind of old economy market. I mean, it's slightly facetious question here, but, you know, sustainable UK equities, isn't it a bit of a contradiction in terms? Or no? <laughs> It's not a facetious question. I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked it because I, I, I like to answer this head on. Mm -hmm. because You get it, asked this a lot, do you? Yeah. Right? People are like, what's the point? It, it's, and it's absolutely the perception. Mm. And I like to, yeah, make it clear that you can invest sustainably in the UK. So it is true that by size and so by market cap, um, the the oil companies, the tobacco and the mining, the companies that are you know ultimately seen as not sustainable investments, they make up a lot of our benchmark by value. But by number of companies, we've got a lot of companies in the UK. Mm. And to invest in sustainable investments, you don't need to just be buying solar farms or like EV battery companies. Uh, clearly, if that was the case, then uh, okay, yes, you you would struggle to to put together a sustainable fund. But actually, yeah. what, what sustainable investing means to us is investing in companies which can provide solutions to their customers. So it might be the case that, yeah, they sell a product or a service which allows their customers to make their process more um, more sustainable. Uh, mm. And often that goes hand in hand with reducing costs for the customer as well. So um, actually they're providing, yeah, something which is... Um, is helping the world become a more sustainable place. And we also invest in companies that potentially aren't, well, you know, they're not helping, you know, save the planet. So for example, a company like Burberry, mm. uh, which, yeah, it's not um, saving the planet, but at the same time, it is sort of best in class in terms of how it manages itself, uh, you know, managing its supply chain, managing the circular economy, managing its labor and all that element. So I'd say, yeah, sustainable investing is more about investing in companies with responsible business practices, which is, um, and, and often the companies are solution providers for the companies. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of opportunity in the UK for that. Okay, cool. 
Um, you know, g- given your kind of quality bias, uh, you've got big holdings in, in BP and Shell in the UK equity fund. Um, you know, that seems to come as a bit of a surprise, you know, given that tilt. I mean, w- what are their prospects like now that oil and gas prices are kind of, I don't know if they're normalising, but they've come a long way back down. Yeah. So just to be clear on that, and the sustainable fund mm. we don't own, yes. BP and Shell. So the sustainable fund is uh, concentrated, uh, best idea fund. It's currently got uh, roughly 35 stocks in there. And it has the ability to be very different from the benchmark. So yeah, it doesn't own any oil, it doesn't own any um, direct mining companies, it doesn't own any tobacco, it doesn't own any defence. Yeah. So just to be clear on that, the UK Equity Fund is a core fund. So it's um, it's still a highly active Best Ideas Fund, but it's mm. got between 50 and 70 holdings. It's currently got towards the lower end of that, uh, mm-hmm. sort of 51, 52 uh, holdings in there. Um, and you're right, it owns BP and Shell. So we are quality investors, but for this fund, because it's a more broad, diversified portfolio of the best ideas from Newton, mm. we leverage off of our global analyst team to pick their best UK UK ideas. So in the in the UK equity fund, the core fund, we've got all of the 30-odd stocks from the sustainable fund in there. Right. And then we've got roughly 20 others in there too, which, yeah, as I said, are the best ideas from uh, Newton's global research team. Um, and in terms of your question about the prospects for oil, mm. so we yeah we've got fantastic resource analysts, and um, uh, yeah I mean the oil prices clearly come back, but uh, the valuations are very attractive still at this uh, this uh, this oil price. I mean at sixty five dollars uh, per barrel, uh, you know these companies can still grow uh, their free cash flow per share yeah. at, at double digits. So from a return perspective. Uh, you know, there is still attractions. Um, The good thing about being a sustainable minded investment manager who has some shares in these companies Mm. is that it gives us a voice in terms of engaging Mm -hmm. with the companies and ensuring that their transition plans um, are, uh, yeah, or just making sure that they're staying on track with them. And so, yeah, we've got an active engagement um, uh, going on with, 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 with yeah a number of companies right yeah uh, so yeah we've got because I think BP well. for example notably kind of backslid on some of its transition plan partly you know earlier this year partly because so it's just you know it's so attractive <laughs> that where oil and gas are priced so, so you you kind of came down hard on them so so we yeah we 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 engage with both BP and Shell mm-hmm. okay and that that's kind of interesting because it sounds like you know maybe you hold them almost slightly against your natural quality bias just because you're persuaded that the prospects are so strong at the moment is that fair or? Um, yeah, I think the thing to remember about the yeah the 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 core fund is mm. that it is a broad diversified fund with a lower risk profile right. risk relative to the benchmark. So um, yeah, it is true to say that from a a pure quality and sustainable perspe- perspective, or even just a pure quality perspective. BP and Shell would not make it, you know, they're not above the hurdle rate. But for this fund, I would describe it as having a quality leaning. Hmm. So in terms of how it performs and its characteristics, it still behaves uh, more like a a quality fund, but with less, you know, it's it's less, um, it's just less that way. It's a bit more, it is more balanced than the sustainable funds. So, so yeah, they're, they're, they're in there. um, But it's a, it's a diversified fund. It's part yeah. of a diversified fund. Yeah. I mean, so given that I'm just having a look at your fact sheets here and the kind of two-year performance numbers, which roughly, well, so you've been, been there a bit longer than two years, haven't you? But, um, you know, given that quality leaning, as you'd expect, you, you've kind of lagged 
the UK market a bit, which has been dominated by the strong performance of resources stocks, really. I mean, you know, have, have you been happy with performance so far? And when do you think that kind of quality leaning could start playing in your favour again? Yeah, so, I mean, what we ha- what we saw happen last year was it was really, really extreme market mm. moves. And it wasn't based on company fundamentals. So, yeah, as you point out, we lagged the market last year. But most of our companies actually had earnings upgrades last year. Right. And what we saw happen was... Um, there was, uh, as the prospects of rate increases um, uh, sort of increased as the year went on, then it meant that the more long duration stocks, the types that we invest in, relatively underperformed those with shorter duration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, as we know, the UK is, is quite heavily weighted towards those with shorter duration, like oil and tobacco, etc., meaning that we lagged. Um, also, another element to consider is the fact that the um, FTSE 250 significantly lagged right. the FTSE 100 because, uh, yeah, mid caps uh, are seen as, you know, perceived as riskier. Um, and so in the, in the environment that we saw last year, they, yeah, they lagged their larger counterparts by a significant amount. I mean, since the start of 2022, mm. the FTSE 250 has lagged by it's nearly 20, 20%. I mean, that's a huge, huge move. Right. But, and that's um, historically been an index which has had very strong performance. Absolutely. I mean, compared to not just for the yeah. UK, but yeah, compared mean, to other global if indices. You look right? at, yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, FTSE 250 performance over one decade or two decades, mm. it's significantly outperformed, even including last year. Yeah. But last year was just a, yeah, a very, very big year in terms of market moves. Uh, but encouragingly, what we've seen this year, so uh, we stuck to our guns last year. Uh, we didn't change our strategy, stayed very consistent, um, you know, tried to make the right reason, uh, right decisions for the right reasons through the year um, and take opportunities. You know, when you're great companies that are seeing, seeing earnings upgrades, yeah. their share prices fall or at least lag. You've got to buy more. Yeah, absolutely. So whilst it's never nice to see negative return numbers, uh, it does make us think, well, this is a great opportunity for the future. And actually this year... Uh, we've been doing well performance-wise, mm. um, and it's it's interesting to see some of our investment cases really play out. I mean, one example of that is one of our big holding pets at home. So it mm-hmm. was hit hard last year because it had been seen as a COVID beneficiary, so it was rolling off from that. It's a FTSE 250 UK consumer company, basically everything that the market didn't like last year, own oh, a long-duration stock um, yeah. to boot. Uh, so its share price fell, but it actually did phenomenally well last year. It's also continued to report really good numbers this year, uh, and the shares have been really strong. Mm. Uh, so yeah, we um, that's a big position for us, and it's actually great to see that play out. We've we've had quite a few like that. So I think um, I mean what I hope happens. Uh, it's, it's difficult to know what what's going to happen in the stock market, and so I'm not going to say what I think is going to happen. But I think you know I hope that the market becomes more balanced and that mm. stock fundamentals play out more than just the big valuation moves that we saw last year. Uh, that's what we're seeing so far this year. And I think actually if we're getting into you know choppy uh, economic environment, then uh, that's when company fundamentals really come to play. Mm. Okay. And, it, you know, in terms of, so, you know, where have you kind of been taking opportunities or, or, or sorry, or finding opportunities or indeed taking profits more recently? Or has it been more of a case of just kind of sticking to your guns and waiting for these ideas to play out? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's finding those companies which are, um, yeah, great quality companies. And that by quality, I mean, like, you know, growth over and above the market in the long term, uh, 
high barriers to entry, strong sustainable um, uh, competitive advantage, strong balance sheets, finding those companies and finding them where they're misperceived by the mm. market. And uh, yeah, we're finding uh, a lot of those. So the FTSE 250 has actually been quite a rich hunting hunting ground for us. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, as, as it fell last year. So we've been, we've increased our exposures to mid caps during the year. Uh, and then actually, even this year, we've seen some companies uh, suffering from destocking. So um, the end markets might still be doing fine. Uh, so one example actually would be the healthcare sector, mm-hmm. where the end market is still doing fine. But uh, in the sort of the middle of the supply chain, these companies really stocked up on everything that they needed because they wanted to you know, make sure there was security of supply. And of course, there's all the supply chain issues that we saw. Um, so, yeah, there was excess inventory through the system uh, and we're now seeing that unwind actually in quite a few sectors in the consumer sector as well mm-hmm. uh, and that's causing some uh, some opportunities as well because that's going to be a short-term phenomenon you know you can only destock for so long before you need to to restock yeah. again um so yeah we're seeing opportunities there as well okay maybe we could we can finish with a kind of uk macro question um given actually you've mentioned the FTSE 250 a few times and actually you know there is more domestic exposure there uh, than the, the FTSE 100. So, you know, the UK's inflation problem definitely seems to be worse than the number of developed economies. I mean, we're recording, you know, on the morning that uh, the latest UK inflation numbers have come in at 8.7%, which is overshot expectations for the third or fourth or fifth month in a row, you know, but basically um, there's talk of interest rates going to 6%, maybe higher now. Yeah. Are you are you worried that the, that will push the UK into a recession and, and could impact uh, those domestically exposed holdings more, more than more than you might have thought. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to be prepared for that. Mm. It's, I think we're we're on a bit of a tightrope at the moment, since it's difficult to know exactly how this is going to play out. If we think, if we re- rewind before the winter uh, and the cost of living crisis, there was uh, a lot of concern about how the high uh, energy costs and mm. the just general cost of living increase was going to impact. Uh, the consumer environment and actually the consumer um, has been relatively resilient uh, if we think about now with rates going up um, uh, I believe it's sort of roughly sort of 25 30 percent of the of the population have a mortgage mm-hmm. so it's not everybody uh, and so there will clearly be people being squeezed and I wouldn't want to underplay that but in terms of the impact on the whole economy that still remains to be seen um, the economy will certainly slow, but that's what needs to happen. And I think the sort of real question mark is the extent to which it does, uh, which we just don't know. Um, so inflation, the number this morning was higher than expected, mm. but it will fall as the year progresses. So it's not good that we're having bad numbers in the short term. But I think, yeah, we have to remember that mechanically that number will fall back. Uh, and the rate rises will have a, an impact. Um, the rate rises that have already happened, they will have an impact. There is a lag effect there. So I don't think we need to to, to panic. Yeah. But um, I think it's something we should wa- watch closely. And I think the the key for us, like what we consider in this, because we don't know, you know exactly how this is going to play out. Mm. Uh, so for our UK consumer exposure, the key is really just making sure that um, we have the appropriate amount of it. So a lot of our companies are... are global companies like relics like i mentioned earlier london stock exchange or you know those types of things and uh, we do have uk consumer exposure but uh you know some of it is like pets at home so people will still spend on their pets that should be relatively re- resilient uh, and then where we do have 
exposure to construction, those companies, they've already seen their share prices fall a long mm. way. Their valuations are okay. very low. A lot of the concerns priced in. Yeah, a lot in. of the concerns priced in. And these companies, they've got strong balance sheets. They're investing in products which, um, you know, the house builders or consumers or whatever are going to need more of in the future, be it the fact that, you know, we do still have a structural shortage of housing. Mm. In the UK, uh, there is a lot more sustainable um, in, uh, sort of regulation coming into housing as well, which means that the product shift slightly changes, which gives some some materials companies more a, a competitive advantage in this situation. Mm -hmm. So there's always elements to play these trends. So... I mean, the key is, is that, yeah, we make sure that there is a lot of downsides uh, in terms of earnings priced into these stocks and also making sure that they've got a strong balance sheet so that if the macro environment does end up worse than what, what's currently forecast, that, you know, your downside is is limited. Uh, um, and then, you know, that's opportunity then to, to buy more because it's a cycle. Yeah. Uh, the, and, the, you know, things will get better again. Yeah. Things get worse, things get better. That's how cycles go. And we're, a, you know, we're a particularly, I think, sort of Fraught turning point, point in mm -hmm. the cycle, which is, yeah, it's, it's just difficult. But it sounds like you're, things, you're more optimistic than some. Yeah, well, I'd say, yeah, naturally optimistic, but also very careful. Mm. So, yeah, it's just about just making sure that you protect the downside and, you know, keep a cool head. And yeah, just always think about the long term because things might seem tough now, but if a company's going to survive, mm. it could well come out the other side stronger as long if it's got a strong balance sheet, it means that it can invest through the down cycle, its competition won't be able to or not to the same extent. So things will get better again. And you want to be in the best position to be able to benefit from that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Louise. Maybe we can end on that note of cautious okay. optimism. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, th thanks so much for coming in today and joining us on the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks. And the last thing to say is thanks everyone for listening and please look out for more podcasts soon.